You're listening to The Razor's Edge, an investing podcast. Your hosts are Akram's Razor, an investor, trader, short seller, and deep dive researcher for the last two decades plus, and me, Daniel Schwartzman, who's worked in investing media the last decade while managing my own stocks. We break down investing themes or ideas and speak with expert guests to get a wider understanding of a given topic. To get episodes of The Razor's Edge, Subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you have a chance, or share this show with a friend. Reach us on Twitter at at Daniel Shortman or at Akram's Razor. You can subscribe to Akram's The Razor's Edge newsletter at the-razors-edge.ghost.io. The link is in Akram's Twitter profile. Here's our disclosure. The views discussed belong to either Akram or me, respectively, or to our guests when we have them. Nothing on this podcast should be taken as investment advice of any sort. We'll disclose any positions and any stocks discussed in the introduction to a given episode. In part two of our recording this week, we get to Elon Musk and Twitter. Both because how can we not at this point, as the drama continues to unfurl, and also because Akram makes the case for this as a good merger art play given the strength of contract law, among other things. We talk about whether Musk can work his way out of this, why Akram thinks he can't, why Musk's whole bot logic is wrong. We have some takes here. We go into what the next steps of the saga should be and a whole lot more. For disclosures, Akram is long Zoom, Twitter, and Boeing. I am long Dropbox and Berkshire Hathaway. Akram's argument is persuasive on the Twitter merger arb, so I might dip my toe back into it. I don't really want to, but we'll see. This was recorded Sunday afternoon Eastern time, so before Snap's Q2 earnings news came out on Monday. Okay, here we go. But, but let me use that as a segue because speaking of billionaires who seem to be reliving their whatever high school or whatever sort of seemingly unable to just enjoy being a billionaire and a successful person. Let's, let's switch to Musk and Twitter because you are, you've been writing about it a little bit again. Obviously we've talked, I thought we were done with Twitter. I have to say, and now they're pulling us back into the conversation. I thought the last time. I mean, I was, uh, look, well, with the benefit of hindsight, it turned out to be genius to exit. (laughs) <laughs> I also uh, merger armed and trade and sold it as soon as the day the deal was announced, I sold. And yeah, I was very happy to yeah. not so I got half on the next day, which is like, I don't think it's ever traded anywhere close to the, those prices uh, since then. Look, we had, look, I, I mean, as I wrote in the, in, in the piece on, on Friday, like you have to approach this thing logically, right? We know this company very well. We've spent so much time discussing it. Okay. And when he made the offer and what was going on in the markets, right? Like, I mean, uh, I mean, I wrote like, you just take, take the deal and run, take the money and run. <laughs> right. Uh, like that was obvious. Right. And there was some contemplation. There was a lot of people who were like, Hey, like there's going to be another bidder and this, this and that. And you're like, there was enough of a sign that the market had changed significantly by the time that that was announced. Forget what happened over the next four weeks where like everyone capitulated on, uh, uh, on principles, right? And uh, w- the willingness to actually turn what they're saying, right? Like 
like we just said, the peer pressure thing. Like what once it became clear, everyone had, had you know, uh, once you've got all these posts regarding that, uh, you, you you've clearly gone. But like there was that point they hadn't started. They may have been degrossing. Uh, they may have been altering their portfolio, right? But they weren't vocalizing it. <laughs> you know, they didn't want to let everybody know that they've changed their views, right? And that, like, you know, the party was fun, but time to get sensible again, right? And particularly for guys who prided themselves on that throughout their, their, their career. So I think that, like, that's like if you were just taking the cue from the market. Like his offer was, was, was fantastic. You know, and there was like, will they let him buy it? Is there a conspiracy? Uh, the board doesn't own any of it. They're just like, they're this woke mob uh, that wants to keep Elon out. Right. And they're going to vote against the deal or do things to make the deal not happen. And it turned out those not remotely the case. They're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll take this really quickly. Is this in cash yeah. or check? No, no, yeah, no due diligence. That great about specific performance clause, please. <laughs> like this, just in case. Uh, what's happened since? I don't think anybody could have predicted. Okay, and uh, yeah, I was. I thought we were done. And even in the early phases of people have been spec, like you know, when it's trading in like forty six, forty seven. You know, it came down a little bit to 43 at one point. And you had you had a narrative around him not doing the deal that had nothing to do with price, right? They were just like, there's, there's Tesla conspiracy theorists, right? Like he's trying to sell Tesla, right? And then he's going to back out. He'll have sold some Tesla, but he doesn't really want to buy Twitter, okay? Like there's been, you know, there's guys like Galloway and others who, who just like instantaneously were like, there's no way he can do the deal and made arguments that didn't make sense with respect to that, right? I mean, in effect, he's gotten the financing and he's gotten already before he started what he's been doing, a good chunk of equity partners, right? Like the actual closing of this deal from a pure finance standpoint is, is a done deal, okay? I mean, short of a, a 50% collapse in a, in, in weeks of Tesla share price, right? I don't think you need to think about uh, about that that much more. And even then, like he could get a little bit more equity, right? In terms of partners. So, I mean, I still think that there's enough people who buy into his ability uh, to create the enormous value with this thing. And I think there's some people who want him to own it strategically who will back it for those reasons, not purely financial, right? So there's there's that element to it. But yeah, we were at that point in time where we thought we were done. And then things just got weird. <laughs> Which, right? to be considering like, the parties easy. involved, is not that surprising, but yeah. I mean, it still is. You know, like everyone will say, like, he always does manage to do this, right? Like, I mean, there's always, like, you know, he's kind of reminding me a little bit of the Boeing dynamic where you're just like the news flow, like, gets worse and like you're somehow amazed that like incrementally it can look worse when it's just like kind of so predictable that it is what it is presently and in his case you're like you are everyone is this discounting or like erratic behavior and he always manages to exceed expectations <laughs> right like it was and it's just been bizarre because he went through this like period where 
like right as soon as the deal was announced, let's call it, no, I mean, let's get technical here because if we're going to discuss Twitter, once the merger agreement was in place, okay, he was celebrating. I'm going to buy Coca-Cola. I'm going to buy this, right? He's like, he's tweeting at Michael Burry. He's like, you're going to get a blue check mark, even though you're short of Tesla. Like he was in his, he was celebrating his purchase, right? Like, and, and like you said, you know, he was enjoying the attention. Okay. And like, he was on a 24 hour, like, you know, uh, uh, good mood around what he had done. And then it just veered off. We veered off course over the next two weeks. Now what's happened in that window, the stock market went to shit. Okay. I mean, it went into total free fall and people started to come out and say, he's not going to do the deal because he's drastically overpaying. Right. That became the new narrative. And you're just like, well, I mean, like, well, there's nothing to renegotiate here. <laughs> like you waived your right to due diligence. Uh, there is a specific performance clause in this deal. Uh, yeah, you can be fuck you, sue me, and let's go to court. But like, supposedly this is this purchase was really important to you, right? And you framed it that way. Does that really look good for you, number one? And then number two, like, what would trigger you to change your mind? Like, you don't seem to be a person who, like, wants to be publicly linked to changing his mind uh, because he wants to haggle $5 billion or $7 billion off the deal price just because he can, right? Uh, or that he feels that he, he, he should be doing that because he is the world's richest man, right? Like, uh, using his, uh, his leverage. And I mean, even I was kind of ignoring this and you know, wanted nothing to do with it. Then Hindenburg did that thing saying, you know, it's a short. And then the stock dropped like four days later when he comes out with his tweet that he's pausing the deal because he wants further clarification on the less than 5% uh, of, of MDAUs or spam, right? Yeah, that's been that's been his axe that he's grinding to try to do whatever he can to the deal. It's been the bots, which you know, I know you've done some work that maybe you can share, but also like just given the point that everybody's aware of that he's been complaining about the bots forever, that he's likely a beneficiary of the bots just from his Tesla account, like. It's unclear how that where this came from, like why, except for the obvious stock market sold off a lot. It's unclear. Like he even, what, even what, what he cited it? a he cited a Reuters article that was actually two weeks old, so it wasn't even like a new news story that somebody reported on. And so, yeah, it's uh like you said, he's a consistent outperform and raise on market expectations around eccentric behavior he's uh he's always under promise over deliver on that front so i guess here's the like if you want to go into the bots like point we can definitely do that because i think it's you know it's it it feels again i i have my i don't like musk as a sort of public figure i'd have no idea about him as a person as a public figure we're not we're probably not going to get into the new claims but he just it there's something to be said for 
the, you know, the, the lack of shame, I think it is, is just interesting in our modern day and age where there's like a, I, I'll lump three people in and throw brick bats at me if you want afterwards, like him, David Portnoy and Trump specifically, like go out of their way for their brand to be, I'm an asshole. Like it's essentially, I'm exaggerating, whatever, but like, it's that loud mouth, like this is who I am. Whereas like, I don't know, I was reading a random article about Richard Nixon and I think Richard Nixon, you can say whatever about, or you could say the same on the other side, Bill Clinton, whatever, but like in public, they're, they weren't trying to be a jerk. Or I was thinking of sp- yeah. athlete, Boston athletes. No. I was thinking about like Ted Williams was etiquette. known to be surly, but like, actually he was a nice guy, but like, yeah, etiquette. Exactly. Like there's a Larry Bird was probably a real jerk, but like in public, he was, you know, a kid, me growing up as a kid looked up to him. And so it's like, there's just this, like, this is who, and so that doesn't, that is my bias here with Musk, but it's also like, I don't know. I guess the question, the reason there's such a widespread isn't, I think, so much that people think he has a actual argument here. It's that they don't trust Twitter to want to actually roll up their sleeves and get into a court battle with him. Yeah, that's absurd. I mean, at this point, right? So, like, I mean, it, even if you interpret what, like, how Twitter has handled this, like, it's signaling to you that uh, they're gonna they're set up to go the distance to get fifty four twenty. There's not much else to say. How how do you mean? Because they're staying out of the fray, or how do you mean that they're going? So like he comes out and he's just like all of a sudden he starts scouting it, and uh, uh, he's throwing this out there that not that like the metrics could be. So he's clearly thought about this enough. Like, uh, and we'll get into this in a second. But you know he's talking that they report a five percent number, and he's calling it laughable, right? And he's like. 20% 20% seems like a low number for percentage of fake possible accounts. And, and let's be clear, by the way, accounts versus percentage of fake NDAUs is a different conversation. That's important. We'll get into that. But he's like, it could be as high as 90%, right? So he's putting out this code bombastic stuff from the perspective of anybody who's looking at this objectively i mean, compounds on a bunch of threads on it even before i got into this right so like like i kind of had this like very like what the hell's going on here right like after i watched his uh after i watched the first five minutes of the all-in podcast interview uh because up until that point i was just paying no attention right like i didn't like i didn't, I didn't feel the need to read uh the merger agreement i didn't feel need, the need to go through the proxy statements i didn't feel the need to go through uh you know like what exactly are you dealing with with respect to his equity capital commitment like you know how on the hook are they like i wasn't thinking legal right and i wasn't like i didn't look and see what representations and warranties like are highlighted inside the the deal and like i was just like this is just the circus of twitter uh and this is what's going on in the market and uh, he wants to renegotiate and uh, maybe they they caved to him. I hadn't really thought too much about it. Well, then when I watched him on there, and I wasn't sure there was something that had occurred behind the scenes that triggered this. Then when I watched him on the All In podcast, I was like, "This is this is ridiculous, right? Like, why did he come up with ten percent as this arbitrary threshold uh, of likes 
uh, likes to MDA use that should be the number for the most liked tweet of all time. Do you, right? do you want to back up and just remind what the context is of why what he was talking about when he had that 10%? All right, so he gets on the All In podcast and he's like, look, uh, I have the record for the most liked tweet of a living person. By the way, so he's aware that Chadwick Boseman has the most liked tweet, you know, the tweet announcing his passing at like 7.2 million, right? He's like, I tweeted, I'm going to buy Coke and put the Coke back in and they got 4.7 million or so. That's the most liked tweet, right? Twitter has 217 million MDA views. It's like, that's like 2%. That's for the most liked tweet ever. Something's not right. Something doesn't add up is what he said, okay? <laughs> then Jason Kalkanis chimes in and he's like, yeah, I mean, YouTube has like a, a billion users and like the most popular videos on YouTube have tens of billions of views. And that that would be a better corollary, right, for what Twitter likes of his Coca-Cola tweet uh, should be uh, than the you know the two point five percent on them. And you're just like, how does likes to views, right? One billion, it's it's more. Uh, Baby Shark is the record right now at ten billion, so it's not tens of billions, right? It's literally ten point three or four or whatever it is in terms of most viewed YouTube video. Uh, so the most viewed YouTube video, you know, has been viewed on what would equal to on average five. By the way, that video has like 25 million likes, okay, against 10 billion views. Although I mean, I like, I don't know who likes stuff on YouTube. <laughs> so I don't really know what this converts to. But like, once you saw that, like one, Jason's telling himself that's completely wrong. Two, he's like sitting there saying, oh, that makes perfect sense. Three, you've got Shamat Palbatia sitting there, right? Saying nothing, <laughs> okay? Who is like literally a fucking expert, <laughs> you know, in this space. Like his, like if you watch the whole thing on the, the, the documentary on social, like he knows these conversions. He knows what, like what you want to do to trigger a person to like something, to share something, et cetera. That's what he did, right? He was VP of growth hacking. And like supposedly, you know, amazing at it. So he's just not saying anything. And Elon's just going on this tangent, right? And then he's like, and then he pointed out that there's been independent audits done just recently, which clearly are the Spark Toro report, right? Where they determined that roughly 20% of, of users are fake, are fake. Okay. Now that report. And they clearly, that report opens with a table where it's like 20% uh, of, you know, this sample that we did turned out to be fake accounts. And then on the very far right, there's a bunch of other ones, like percent of Elon followers, percent of this, percent of that. And on the very far right, they've got this really small number, which is 5%, less than 5%, you know, Twitter disclosed, right? And they give you like a caveat underneath, like, you, you know, some of this stuff may not compare, like look at the mythology, but they put them on the same table, right? And to essentially insinuate that here's Twitter, what, what Twitter tells you it is, and here's what like we've come up with with these different data sets, right? But they're calculating fake accounts, okay? And, and like, I mean, in one case, they pointed out that they're working off of a index sample set of over a billion accounts. The MDAU number, it's not related to accounts, right? 
So, I mean, you could argue the MDAU number in terms of total Twitter accounts ever created is, is maybe 10%, right? And they, they don't disclose that. But like by the time you get to MDAU, you've filtered out the most obvious spam accounts and bots, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, it's the first scrape through the trash, right? Like you really clean things up before you get to what's the error rate on what you missed, okay? Like what, what can it be potentially here? And they give you an explanation, right? Like Twitter, Twitter in their disclosure, oh, where's the language here? I've got it in front of me. Uh, the false spam accounts for a period represents the average of false spam accounts in the sample during each monthly analysis period during the quarter and making this determination, we applied significant judgment. So our estimation of false spam accounts may not accurately represent the actual number of such accounts. And the actual number of false spam accounts could be higher than we have estimated. Okay, so they even have, you know, as you would expect, uh, uh, a qualified representation in there uh, to protect them uh, with, res <laughs> with respect to this disclosure. But then Parag comes out, uh, well, this is before actually the interview. Parag had come out with a thread being like, there's a human analysis and like we have, you know, stuff on like the phone and, and the number and geolocate, like there's a bunch that goes into it. And by the way, like we block like 500,000 spam accounts a day, right? Like you can't do this analysis externally the way we do it. And but like he didn't feel the need, he didn't feel the need to explain. And because it was really unclear because Elon's kind of going on this path that is, very just like he's working backwards. He doesn't tell you what, like he's so far as like Twitter, show me, show me how you do it. But because I think it's 10%, why do you think it's 10%, right? Like, why did you come up with a 10% threshold for likes? And I mean, I showed like the Instagram, the most liked thing is the egg, right? And that's like at 5% uh, uh, of total Instagram users. And the, the, the most like YouTube video right, is that like less than 1% of, uh, of, of the active users, right? So 2.5% for Twitter is kind of impressive for his, his tweet, right? And by the way, Bozeman got almost 50% more likes than his Coca-Cola tweet, but with 2 million followers, right? I mean, Elon's follower count, which by the way, like that whole thing, I mean, who knows how many followers are fake, 40%, 50%, whatever uh, for accounts, but like you can have 60% of your followers being fake and Twitter's MDAU numbers being spot on, number one. I mean, that's a likely scenario uh, if, if you understand how these, how these metrics are disclosed, right? So he's not really given you anything. It just seems that he like either the Coke tweet triggered him, okay? Or someone published that report uh, the audit at an opportune time. And like he started with, it confirmed in his head what he already had when he looked at that table that opens it, okay? And he's just not bothered to really drill in on the metrics. Now, like this is supposedly one of the world's smartest men, right? And like, this is where this thing gets like bizarre because he's not acknowledging. I, I've replied several times, clearly it has no interest in, you know, I don't know whether he reads them or or or, or whatever, uh, and like some other people have, have been, you know compounded a thread. Like he has no interest in in being like, oh, Calcanus's uh, comments were stupid and all wrong, 
<laughs> it's, it's not a corollary at all. And I publicly acknowledged, acknowledged it as making more sense, right? Uh, I mean, I, I just imagine like someone was like saying that Twitter should lock his account. And it's like, why? Like, just let him keep talking, <laughs> you know? Like it, this ever winds up in court, like you're gonna have a lot of data there where it's like, where did you come up with this, right? I know, by the way, you said this, are you aware that it's nowhere close? Are you aware that Twitter and compared to Instagram is here on conversions for something like this, right? So like, he's just given them material, uh, you know, to, to be able to use in a lawsuit if they end up having to sue him for breach. Uh, and by the way, that's the important thing here to think about this. So why did I come back into the stock? So the stock's trading like 46% below uh, the, the deal price. So we, what we have here is, is a merger agreement in place. Okay. So I think that's important because a lot of people, I mean, you guys have seen the Slack, they're like, why can't he just pay the billion and do this or do that, right? And like, so this is not how this works, right? You have a merger agreement. He now needs to breach, okay? Like he can send them notice of termination of the merger agreement and they will counter to sue he's breached, okay? And they will seek specific performance. That's what happens here because $1 billion versus $25 billion in, in market value uh, is notable. And two, he doesn't have a leg to stand on. So if you've looked at some, if you've looked at cases in Delaware court, right? Like, so Elon's aware of this and Elon has pointed out like in the, in the all in interview, he's like, this is kind of serious here, guys, right? Like if it's 20% to 90%, that's what advertisers care about in brand advertising. But what he's really insinuating is fraud. But like he comes out and says, if these numbers are off, it's a material adverse event. So someone has told him, and he's aware of this, or you know, he's done some Wikipedia level reading on uh, on this, or his lawyers have advised him, like how how do you get out of this deal? And they're like, well, you waive due diligence. There's a specific performance clause. You need a breach. The breach has to be based on the representations and warranties. What's one of them? Twitter's publicly filed financial statements. Okay, so like that's what he's keyed in on here, and he needs to be able to show that they've lied, right? Now, typically when you have a, like when you, when you have someone sue uh, or, or give notice to terminate the deal, something has happened, right? Like there's been a disclosure uh, that came subsequent to the merger agreement being in place that has, has caused like an issue. And even then you can end up losing because it doesn't actually become something that rises to the level of a material adverse effect on the deal. And that's, by the way, a big deal here, right? So he needs two things. One, he needs some sort of positive assertion because it's not like Twitter is going to come out and be like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. Our numbers are fake, <laughs> right? Like something would have had to have happened, you know? that calls them into question. And by the way, the SEC has reviewed how they calculate these metrics like multiple times. So like he is like, there's no, there's no reason to disclose the mythology, put it that way. And by the way, they've already qualified it, right? So like when he bought them, he read, like it's assumed that he's read 
that 5% error rate being like, we have a way of doing it. And this is what we believe it is, but it could be wrong. And it could be actually significantly higher. Right. That's there. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, he he doesn't have a leg to stand on. Right. Uh, If you look at it this way, and I've looked at some cases over the last two years, uh, just to kind of get an idea of like how the Delaware court views material adverse effect, right? So first he would have to prove a breach, okay? Which, I mean, typically would require some sort of like, uh, when this typically happens, someone just discloses something that is new and you say that you as the buyer, okay, in this case, say this new information has come to light uh, and I, you know, I'm giving notice of termination of the deal. Okay. Because that's how I view it. I come back and I sue you. And that's where we get into this whole debate, right? This is where we go to court. And we have to say that one, there was a breach, step one. And then two, that it rose to the level of being material adverse effect on the deal. And I think you can make like, for, let's say it turns out that 9%, like they have, let's say they could actually figure it out rather accurately. Because it seems like right now that's impossible, short of, you know, phone call verifying every single person, okay, with their, you know, printed IDs. Let's just assume that you could do this. If you could do this and it turns out to be 9%, okay, is that going to change the financials of the business that you bought? The error rates nine percent. No, probably not. Exactly. So, like, he would have to say that, like, they're advertising. Like, what what's changing? What's impacting the business right now is, it like, the circus around him, right? Which is like another thing that Twitter is going to have going for him. But like, you can't sit there and say that if that number was nine percent, like, it's material to advertisers, right? Like, they're already aware of it, and. You know, they're buying Twitter advertising at this point based on, you know, the historical performance they've seen out of it, right? Which they're measuring in many different ways. So what it would have to be is it would have to be that the metrics are totally fraudulent. And then that probably would have to extend to the financials of the company, right? Like how can 50% of MDAUs be fake, but you're still doing this 5 billion plus in revenue, right? So it's it's nonsense. You know, if you think about it from like where he's at, like he's just asserting a massive fraud and it's going to have to be in the financials as well. Because you can't say you want to do the deal differently. You know where their EBITDA margins are. You know what they're doing here. Yeah, that the, the, the growth metric is important and it's important to advertisers, but like not in, not in the level you're asserting, right? So like not only would they have to be way off to the point of it being a massive fraud, the financials would have to be fraudulent. Like they would have to have been cooking the books, you know, on a revenue standpoint. You'd have to put, you'd have to put that link there. And like, this is what you got to do after the lawsuit. What you need to start is you need a breach. So the first thing is going to be like, what's your breach? It's like, well, I, you know, I did an independent audit after I, I, I signed the merger agreement. Uh, and they came up with 20% of accounts are 
are fake based on the sample size. Okay, that has nothing to do with NDAUs. And by the way, you could have done that before. That's not a breach. So he doesn't you have a breach. Counting, so people, counting 100 of his followers to decide. Yeah, what. like you can do whatever the fuck you want, right? Like there was not something that came out of the company you're buying, right, that you can point to. Like it has to be a representation of warning that they made and something has been brought to light. Now, maybe you could say a whistleblower came to him or someone like who knows, right? That told him that he should he should uh, do this, but like there's there's nothing. So when you think about this from a procedural standpoint, like he can say whatever he wants. Like there's no reason for Twitter to to talk to him, right? Like beyond what Parag did on on, on Twitter, it's like yo, like we don't have to tell you anymore. Right? Well, it's like, a good thing that Elon responded to that thread with a very constructive and thoughtful uh, counterpoint to Parag. Yeah, which again, yeah, the the poop the poop uh, the poop tweet. Is essentially telling you that like he's not even thinking about uh like he wants to put this in the category of this guy is such a headache and it's gonna be such a mess and uh he's gonna drag it on for forever. Here's another important thing here, right? There's a lot of people with the conspiracy theories around Tesla and price it. If he if he gives notice of termination, uh his equity capital partners are off the hook. So that's 7.5 billion. Uh, they don't have to be involved. Okay. Yeah, so I mean, I, I'm sure that so like like literally the minute he does that, not only is he on the hook for 5420, he's on the hook for 5420 by himself. Okay. And remember, because he's giving notice of termination, all right, and they will be counter suing, you know, for specific performance, if Within the, the the time period that this is going on, the value of Twitter meaningfully increases. Okay, they can drop the suit, <laughs> right? So, uh, like, there's a bunch of things that just don't look good for him, right? If you think about it from a scenario standpoint. So the only thing that you have going here is, and you may like I don't know where this comes in, but like there's now the sexual harassment thing, and you know other like. If there was something that would cause him to lose his financing, okay, uh, that had absolutely nothing to do with this, like let's say one of these investment banks collapsed, right? Um, or let's say some of his financing is tied to it. Like, I mean, again, it's being Elon Musk. I don't think you can sit there and say we're going to pull your financing for this deal uh, because you've been accused of sexual harassment. It doesn't change his financial situation, right? But beyond that i just I, I don't see how he's like the best thing for him to do is bite the bullet and, and particularly for his brand uh and do the deal yeah yeah it's just it's uh it's just, yeah it, it, i mean it's so you're like to get constructive here, it almost seems like the way this plays out is that Elon make, continues to make noise until he decides it's less convenient for him to make noise. I was going to ask about the equity partners here, um, how they must be feeling. They're getting recruited into make a merger, then all of a sudden the guy. I mean, some of these guys clearly are complete, total, like blind Elon uh, supporters. Some of these guys would appear to be very interested strategically in controlling Twitter right and having a voice in 
where Twitter goes for what they're doing investing wise, right? Like the, the, the crypto guys getting involved, for example. Okay. Uh, crypto exchanges, et cetera. Like, I think it's very important to them that the future Twitter is crypto friendly. Right. You don't want somebody getting in there who's just like, we're not doing crypto advertising. We're not taking, uh, uh, or maybe like we're going to go out of our way to, to crack, crack down on crypto bots. Who knows? Like, there's a lot of things there where like uh, crypto, friends of crypto want this deal. Right. Put it that way. And it's like, like if you're thinking five to 10 years out, uh, they want they want to uh, to control a platform uh, or have say in a platform a media asset that's important I mean, because it's a media war it really that they're fighting with a lot of stuff that is not winning on a technology war right so I mean crypto really has boiled down to that these days so yeah I don't I and like I don't think that those guys care I think maybe like he's communicated with them I don't know it's uh, it's unclear but I mean people have. I think the important thing here that got me interested in it is if you just, if you separate all this out and assume like, and if you read some of these cases, like he would lose in court, like it would be, he would lose and he would lose fast, put it that way. So if he's going to lose and he's going to lose fast and the difference right now between no deal and 5420 is so big that there's going to be no settlement that's going to be satisfactory to either party. Elon's not paying $7 billion, right? Or something outrageous, like split the difference, okay? So, but it, I, I don't see a way where if you think about it clearly that you can't, maybe there's something else going on here, by the way. And maybe like he clearly seemed to know that there was gonna be this accusation around SpaceX, so to have a lot going on and uh, creating chaos, like, I don't know, maybe that's helpful in that environment. Maybe everything around the Twitter deal, uh, you know, creating some sort of doubt around it and having a whole new conversation, like is more of a, just like drowns out any sort of like, you know, indecency or whatever it is, whether she's a complete nut, or whether there's something to it, I have no idea, right? But like, if with all this going on, you're not in even the mood to even care about it, right? Then maybe that's what he's doing. So you, you don't know. But like, from an investor standpoint, like, set all that aside, just look at it and say, I mean, the same, I was, I was having this conversation with someone else, like, you could just do this. And I'm like, the same laws that make him uh, assured and confident in his position as the world's richest man, right? Not some Russian oligarch, you know, whose assets are being uh, seized around the world. Like the same laws that do that are the same ones that he's going to be up against uh, from a corporate standpoint with respect to challenging this deal and in a very hampered situation. Because if you read the disclosures, and you look at what's going on. He doesn't have like he he can't sit here and say I all of a sudden had like there had to have been something material that occurred to doubt that five percent. He can't just sit there and be like oh, but it's a real five percent. And he's not helping himself. 
by equating it to likes and YouTube views and like coming up with arbitrary thresholds. That it makes him a very logical guy, look illogical and having an ulterior motive. Right? Like it's like if you're if you're on the on on the other side's legal team, you're just gonna play the video of uh, the all in podcast interview and just be like, okay, here's what he here's what he acknowledges here is factually wrong. Right? Do we need to call the person asserting this? Okay. Like, where did you come up with this view? Oh, this is what I just thought. I guess it turned out I was completely wrong. So, like, that's a problem. <laughs> I think it also hurts him that his pinned tweet is, like, did you know that there's a home tweets and it's algorithmic and they're trying to manipulate you and you can change it? And it's like, you're on Twitter 24-7, dude. Like, we've been completely... We, complained about that when it happened two years ago and we anybody who didn't want home tweets straight fixed it it's like this sort of <sighs> rediscovering yep. Yep. the most obvious things and acting as if they are you know it's we yeah. all, so like no, don't think too much about it just think that there's an ulterior motive here maybe it's a distraction maybe whatever it is and say 45 percent is a pretty good uh uh pretty good risk reward at this point but i mean yeah you could, could you end up with something that goes nowhere uh trades down to 25 like whatever yes but like is this a pretty well established business that like you're comfortable like being put at at 25 for a while you know and, and stomaching that call it an extra 25 30% downside that occurs knowing that they can write the business themselves they have a path to go and they would win a lot they would win in court so really, like, and I don't even think it would take that long from the legal case standpoint. So really what it would boil down to is, is he financially incapable, you know, 18 months from, from today of covering, uh, you know, let's call it $25 billion or so uh, in equity. Yeah, I do think that's one of the sort of attractive things here is compared to like Activision, Microsoft. Is going to take a long time, even if you think that's an attractive merger are. But whereas in this case, there's no antitrust stuff. There's no yep. There's no like clear holdups. You know, it's almost like literally deliver the money to us and like let's sort out, you know, your access. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm simplifying, obviously, and you would know. But I, I don't know. If, like I mean, you've got the legal you know, right to approve but, the deal, yeah. and like he's going to have to come out and get. He's going to have to literally come out. And give them notice of termination, and they yeah. will they will immediately sue him for performance. That's like that, those are the steps that are left, right? This isn't like, hey, let's talk about price, right? And like then, if there's a settlement, you know, or something that like you know was to occur, uh, like the parties can continue to talk at that point, but they will be suing for for fifty four twenty, right? Well, and, the, and I don't know which other cases you looked at. The one that a lot of people have cited is LVMH Tiffany's, which they ended up cutting a deal like a tiny bit lower. That also had yeah, like two percent a pandemic as an excuse. Like there was a actual material. You can argue about you know the details, but like a material adverse pandemic erupted that affected physical yeah. retail sales. So to such an extent. Uh, that it was material adverse effect on on the business, right? Like that's uh, 
that's one where where you can make the case. And even then, like they were like you know they were not in the best position to. That was like a let's call it amenable parties seeking a compromise because they didn't really have to, uh, and it, it, it ended up not being a big difference. I don't think anybody would care if they if, they, if he said, "Look, just give me fifty one twenty. Okay, like I, I I think that that would be fine as well. They don't have to, but like if if it's fifty one twenty, or like go through this whole process, right? They'll do fifty one twenty, but if it's forty dollars, Ford is like there's no reason, right? Like that's just so significant, and it's worth. You know? They like, people from, made the from, point from, from, from a fiduciary fiduciary standpoint. Like you, you, you can't. You're just going to be like, look, we have an ironclad case, you know, and you are the world's richest man. There is no reason for us to negotiate with you. Yeah, like you, you gave up your leverage, you know, like the only thing that would really put you back in a position of leverage is a total collapse of you, right? You dying, you know, God forbid, or, uh, you know, your entire business empire, you know, turning to be over leveraged because you've done something else and you collapse overnight. Okay. I mean, I don't think anyone's making that case. There are some people out there like this is doing this to sell some shares and da, da, da. but that's it, right? Like, so what? What are there just people on the board and be like, hey, we can't, you know, I didn't like, I moved too quickly. You would, your your shareholders would be happy with forty. Well, yes, they probably would if you if you made that offer while this while the stock was at twenty five and like right in the midst of uh, you know the past three weeks of trading. They'd be like, yes, thank you, right? We would be having the same debate that initially started with his 54 offer, right? At the $40 level, because you just would have restruck the price of the stock down almost equally. I mean, it would have traded from 38 to 25, right? And we wouldn't know like he bought any yet. And you'd be just rinsing and repeating the whole thing and it'd be the same premium. And I mean, there'd probably be a more logical argument for from like real stubborn people to be like we can we can do we can enhance the value a little bit more than 40 from here without him right but 40 now you know at 25 and him doing it in like the same way he just did it you know like disclose it and then a week later make the offer uh all or nothing would have the same type of situation so anyway i think i think it's worth uh, getting into uh, as exposure, I would not blow my load on it. Uh, but just walk it through objectively. You have you have a report that's misleading in terms of an audit that is equating accounts to MDMs. You have uh, an interview with the All In podcast where he comes up with an arbitrary ten percent as a threshold for what he thinks uh, like engagement should be for a most popular tweet as a percentage of MDAUs uh, that is easily refutable uh, and well-established for anybody in the industry with respect to the engagement trends, right? Of a, of a Twitter, Twitter-like and YouTube-like and Instagram and so on. So like you, those things are public disclosures uh, linked 
to his assertion that there that 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 a material information is being concealed from him okay that has just come to light those are wrong uh you also have a merger agreement that is filed and done right this needs to be voted upon uh with equity capital commitments of 7.5 billion that if he gives notice of termination okay it increases exposure all right and you have well-established Delaware law, and you can look at some cases. I mean, I shared one in, on Friday, the Boston Scientific one, but there's a couple other I've read where, and they're recent, that it doesn't look remotely like the court would do anything but view specific performance as the equitable relief here. <laughs> you know, so it's the only way. So that doesn't look good for him. Uh, and then you have these other factors that, like whatever you want to call it, this uh, uh, sexual harassment thing that's come out that may have played into what he's doing because he's not happy about it. And he wants, he, he wants, to, create, he wants to create enough uh, chaos uh, to make you not bother focusing on that if that's the case. I don't know. Well, like those are the things that you can you can take from it, and you have a Twitter that I mean has no reason to consider anything else. He's in fact impaired the business uh, with his uh, his current behavior. Like there's turnover going on, and I think that anyone can argue that any, uh, people looking for a job uh, in the space would not want to consider them right now. Well, that was the uh, that was just the like self defeating part of all of this is that Twitter, no matter what happens, Twitter as a place to work is getting worse with all of this. I would argue that as a platform, this, I mean, it's entertaining. It typifies the entertainment of Twitter, but I can't imagine. It's not very exciting if this is sort of who's taking over. It's uh, yeah, it does. There's real damage there. I also think it's funny because you obviously remember I mentioned this with a couple of people this week, like the whole Tesla Q belief that Solar City was finally going to be the thing that brought Tesla down. And now, you know, Tesla's business is probably fine, but with them getting pulled from the ESG index and all of this, like the pressure on Tesla shares too, both coincidental and probably some cor correlation here. Uh, it's funny that Elon's solo bit of Twitter could end up like almost feels like more of a pivotal. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, look, it's it's more fuel on the fire uh, of, of where Tesla's relative valuation is uh, to its peers in big tech. Put it that way, right? So, I mean, if you're looking at the biggest businesses now, like, like you can make the case Tesla needs to be shaved in half again, right? Uh, you can definitely make a case for twenty percent easy. So on top of the 30% it's dropped since he announced this transaction, right? So, I mean, that is, you know, a 50% haircut, still not enough remotely to, to change the outcome here. But, I mean, it's poorly timed. I mean, if you can buy Google with 70 billion in free cash flow at a one, you know, and a quarter uh, trillion enterprise value, 
then you know Tesla at 700 with you know, what probably at eight eight billion or so presently uh, is what you're looking at from a run rate. It's too much, <laughs> you know. Like maybe it's going to get to 50 in, in a couple of years, you know, maybe five years. But you know, the guy at 74 is presently at uh, uh, at 1.2. And nobody's yeah. really viewing that as as impaired, put it that way. They like they do think that that still continues to. I mean, in some cases, you know, compound notably. In other cases, just grind higher. So, like seven times, eight times difference, and uh, you're you're talking fifty, sixty percent. Like we're no longer talking about like what's your valuation compared to Toyota or Ford. It's like you're you're not far off Amazon and, and Google. Yeah, but you're not taking into account artificial general intelligence and its potential impact. AGI could be huge. Look, his robot thing could be huge. A lot of things could be huge. And I know you're being sarcastic there, but at the same time, who knows? But yeah, I mean, like that, we're not in the point today of, uh, of who knows. I just think this is, uh, I think he wants this asset. Uh, I think maybe there's ulterior motives here. Uh, I think you can be very confident, like just being, I mean, it's fun to talk about it. Like you've seen the stuff in the Slack. I mean, like this is prone to not being objective. And you've seen stuff on Twitter. Like it was like, you know, one guy was asking like, why, why, like for example, Twitter management, Twitter's general counsel was like, there's no such thing as a deal being on pause, right? And he's right, there isn't. Like he can, he, he can send a notice of termination. That's it, <laughs> right? Like that's where he's at right now. That's the next step for him to, uh, to make. You know, and they can countersue. I mean, I, I'm sure if it, uh, if he sends that notice, it'll drop more, and like that'll give you the opportunity to, to really be aggressive with the trade uh, if you want to. But the minute he does that, he lost his 7.5 billion in commitment capital, unless they decide to say we will stay with you, and he's secured it throughout this. Right? That if it has like who does that? <laughs> like. Though, every one of those people outside of Larry Ellison has different things going on, right? Like, so they, they answer to their fiduciaries. So like, that's not how it's going to play out for, for, you know, the rest of this cat for, for 90% of the capital he's, he's getting. So I think it's kind of straightforward. I think you just have to be boring about it. And, uh, you know, there was enough people who were like, Oh, this is a done deal. That, like, why was it trading so wide when it was like 48? Like, yeah, no, not with him. Uh, like, and this is just not worth trying to score. Like, when a market gets volatile, like you pointed out with Activision and, and antitrust and everything else, like, and w- once you've had a drawdown like this, 10% is nothing, right? Like, there's, there's businesses you can buy at really appealing yields that, like, become 10%. Like, it's no longer you have to go looking hard for it. There's so many options. For you in the market so the merge arb thing blows out because i mean that's what happens in, in stress but like when it's trading at essentially 50 percent higher if it, ha- if, if it goes forward based on the current legal dynamics that's a whole different ball game like you have a cash bid right yeah sorry you have a cash agreement. A merger agreement at 4 54 20 not a cash offer. They have a merger agreement at 5420. 
that has specific performance, and there's been no material disclosures uh, that would constitute a breach by the target. Uh, you have a buyer who, in, in, insinuating, fishing, essentially speaking, uh, for a potential breach. But I mean, again, we, we read the language on the 5% of the MDAUs. Like, there's, it's going to be hard to get anything notable there. And it's going to be infinitely harder to, even if you had something there, to, to prove it's a material adverse effect on the deal. Economically speaking, that like, you know, you, you'd have to show that this metric has been like so manipulative as to be defrauding uh, people who have been advertising with Twitter for a decade. Right? Because otherwise, it's almost kind of immaterial. Like advertisers seem to be getting what they want. Totally. I mean, that's the, the the whole advertising business is they're not idiots in the advertising business. They're even yeah, in they brand have advertising. You can sit there and say that they have all kinds of alternatives. Uh, they have all kinds of tools to measure it. Right? They're doing their independent type of verification. There are parties involved in this that track this. Like, he just does not have a leg to stand on. So. Either the investment banks collapse uh, or something weird goes on there that causes his financing to vaporize suddenly, uh, or he's going to have to pay 5420. Like, if out of the kindness of their heart, you know, to just not deal with the headache, they take a like a Tiffany style couple bucks less, you know, uh, maybe. But they don't like, you know, as one of the investors, you just be like, okay, because I, I want my fifty-four twenty today, <laughs> right? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like like dealing with this for six more months, and maybe something like maybe something happens to them is really a, like that's a legitimate potential concern. Yeah, <laughs> like that's the one thing you could introduce as a, key man uh, risk to yeah. an extreme. I mean, I mean, in this case, it's just the the buyer, and uh, that would be. You know that would kill the deal. All right, so let's 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 leave it there. I think we we had uh, I think we've yeah. Again, Twitter, it's too easy to say, but just when we think we're out, it pulls us right back in. Um, Godfather. That's, By the way, that uh, the Paramount series on that is amazing. On the making of, or what is it? I yeah. didn't. It's called the Offer. I mean, it's a it's a dramatized uh, version of it, and it's awesome. Interesting. I've I've read the book. I've read the actual book, The Godfather. It's uh it's a lot smuttier. Yeah, so it gets than into the movie. That. Yeah. Yes. That like that was why Frank Sinatra hated it. Interesting. Uh, and that's that's why the the like he essentially recruited the the New York mafia to stop the making of The Godfather. Interesting. There's a lot. And it's a, it's it's literally an amazing story and the acting is great and like what's going on at Paramount at time. Like the the guy running Paramount Studios. And the CEO of the corporation that owned Paramount are amazing. And they cast the right people. So I, I strongly recommend it to anybody. Paramount, which is hard to find abroad also, which is the one of the newest positions in Warren Buffett's port or Berkshire Hathaway's exactly. portfolio. So yep. all full circle. So um, we were going to talk retail. I think we can save that for another edition maybe to go yeah, into. There's a lot this week. I mean, I, I don't know how a lot of these stocks are going to trade. I can say yeah. William Sonoma's got uh they had the most positive 
guidance of anybody, right? Like, I mean, their margins are like double what they were pre-COVID and they're saying that that's not going to change. So I think that margins will be a focus there. I think everybody's expecting Best Buy uh, to have a very bad quarter. I don't know what the stock will do, but based on the the, the, the companies that have reported negative news, that's going to have the worst sentiment. I think Ulta is will be interesting because, and they're at the end of the week. I mean, maybe some people want to short it because it's always got a higher valuation, but like they're actually a category winner on trends uh, that are going on right now. So, at services as well, being you know back to full capacity, uh, and uh, just makeup and beauty as as people are are are, are out and about and interacting more. Mm. And I think they gave more sensible guidance. Uh, they gave conservative guidance last quarter. So I like I combine conservative guidance with negative sentiment in real estate, in in uh, in retail, and uh, people looking to just pile on shorts. Like that doesn't work well. Uh, Sonoma's had a huge drawdown, and like you know, it, I think it would take something notably negative to knock it down further from here. But they are sitting in like a very positive skew. Uh, Best Buy, you know, obviously, you know, that's one word. It's just like, how bad is it going to be? And is less bad good? Mm, At least in the very, very short term, because of what happened last week with people chasing some of this stuff. And then you got a couple others, right? Like Dix. I don't really have the strongest view there. That's gotten pretty cheap. I mean, there's a few, I mean, well, it's gotten very cheap. I mean, Dixon Williams Sonoma are very cheap. Like if, if there's no evidence of them having a 180 degree type of potential mean reversion risk, you're, th- th- those will be interesting. Because they've really front run uh, the valuation compression in the space. Yeah, I'm sure you saw a little, you know, I'm sure you read the target call and a lot of people were talking about ensemble capital and i think eric mckay were talking about what a good read through that was just the broader economy and a lot of what you just said as far as luggage up 50 percent sporting goods electronics down that sort of beauty up and they talked up their ulta partnership yeah, exactly. so. and then just the the problems that they had at the like they just come off as being blindsided on the positioning category wise right so yeah. there's a lot of people who thought when the Walmart reported, look, I went through this whole thing where I was long target in the 70s. You know, I commented on someone where I was like, that this retail drawdown doesn't feel as bad, right? Uh, and I guess I'm just biased because I'm not long any retail, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but I was I, like, I was long retail, uh, a bunch of different names at different points at 18 when the XRT had like, you know, one day where it was down like three, 4%. But there was a couple of times, there was like the days the, department stores would blow up there's the days the uh you know big boxes would have a bad like there was a there was a 10 drop in walmart in in early 18 and like the rest of the guys did okay then walmart started to do better and there was like in the summer everybody else in big box was getting thrown out like horror. i mean there was like an 18 19 down day uh in target right and then like you know when that day happens you saw a bunch of names and then there was like the periods where you know, the, the TJ Maxx's were like, you know, performing like inverse e- ETFs. So like, I've seen this all before in, 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 in retail, 
But like at that time, it was against the backdrop of like a retail sector that hadn't been doing anything for like two years, right? Like XRT is, you know, five, 10% range over the previous two years. XRT had not gone on like a 150% run or whatever it was, you know, during COVID, 110, 15%. So yeah, I did come into this recently with a notable drawdown. It had pulled back. Uh, but like Walmart's 120, Target was too, like before it fell 230, right? It comes down to 150. Like I thought Walmart 120, Target 70 needed to resolve itself over the next like 18 months with, uh, you know, uh, Target like 110, right? It did that in a day in August of 19, right? And then, you know, you're like, I can see this overshooting. I didn't see it going to 300, you know? Like, I didn't think it was, I didn't think that this, like, I thought it was like 150, 135, 140, right? Uh, between the two of them. So like, I mean, there was a couple of guys who had tweeted, uh, you know, buy Target into, uh, because it's not the same as Walmart. I was like, it would be worse. And like, Target ain't cheap. Like they had margin expansion. They've had a bunch of things that I'm like, if those reverse temporarily, you know, you got a tough time. And you've seen where some of this other stuff was traded, right? I mean, West Elm is a big brand for like RH guy started this off with his warning. And then we discussed that last time. And he's looking more pre, more prescient than ever. Uh, but like, you know, Dixon and William Sonoma have been trading as if they're going to take, you know, several hundred basis points of margin compression. Which the management team, as of their most recent reports, has said, no, that's not happening. So we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I do think, like, I, I do think that you like be cognizant of the trend, put it that way, like you said. Like they gave you color uh, and the supply chain dynamics. And like, you know, clearly, clearly target management, I mean, it looks like, you know, 75 to 80% of their margin hit was them getting the, uh, categories the consumership wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, like we love that management team. I love that management team. So, uh, I mean, this is kind of a reminder that like none of these guys have the super edge in, in this environment. Yeah. All right. Let's let's leave it there. Lots of good stuff. Uh, yeah. So, ne never never boring. That's that's where well, we are. Well, so, that's where we are. All right. All right, dude. Take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Razor's Edge. Subscribe to this wherever you get your podcasts. Hit us up on Twitter at, at Daniel Shortman and at Akram's Razor with suggestions, requests, or anything else. We aim to publish this every Tuesday morning and love to hear from you. If you can share this with a friend or leave a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really be grateful as that will help the podcast grow and improve. This has been a Shortman Studios production. Our theme song is Move On by Soquel. Thank you for listening and see you next week.